HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food and drink lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in the rhythm and blues that's him. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. I'm Southern T. And I'm Greg Benson. That's what's going on in the world. I see. I, I see a tank top on on the screen here. I wish the radio listeners could see this, but oh, uh, so do all of our listeners, happen. Damon. All of our listeners wish that too. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's just going to be for us in the virtual studio today. Yeah, it's uh, it's a balmy sixty here in Brooklyn, which means it's a balmy. I'm going to guesstimate ninety five in my <laughs> apartment building that was built in 1931 and still has forced heat. Fun fact, that's a uh, holdover from the Spanish flu when people believed that uh, you needed a steady supply of fresh air to avoid things that made you sick, like the Spanish flu. So they built buildings where the radiators would get hot enough that you could still leave your windows open in the dead of winter. And we're talking yeah. pre-climate change winter, by the way. Oh, yeah. So you know, essentially the system is designed so that there's a ton of heat pumping in and your windows are open to the cold winter air at the same time, but I'm doing it to the late winter air. So it is, um, the sun is not out, but the guns are, that's all I'll say about it. Well, uh, it's a a delight for us to see too bad. The listener can't see it. Well, to everyone on this call, you're welcome. Um, you've been tinkering around in the agave world recently uh, with your syrup. Uh, but is there any agave news you've got? What's going on in the agave world? There is. Well, first of all, thank you very much for being a customer of Ancestral Agave Nectar. Uh, we really yes, appreciate sir. it. We actually got a cool new batch dropping uh, that has some kind of like cool umami notes. So I'm really excited to throw that on some wings and like do some grilling once the weather gets nice, not just in my apartment, but outside of it. Uh, but yeah, we're getting some wildly contradictory news out of the mm-hmm. agave world. We're getting we're getting. Uh, panic clickbait driven journalism that says that both there is not enough agave 
and too much agave. Yeah. Yeah. So the Washington Post famously or possibly infamously about a month ago ran a piece with the headline something along the lines of uh, Mezcal fanatics are drinking some of the world's uh, rarest agave to death, which is... It bothered me for a number of reasons. One, because it leaned into this problem that I have with the liberal mainstream media, where we've kind of become this subclass of people where it's like, you know that thing you like? Well, it's bad and you should feel bad for enjoying it. Yeah. Like, shut up. And and also a lot of the data in that wasn't even – it was accurate, but the picture that they painted from it was was very different. First of all, the whole conceit of the article is that Mezcal heads are seeking out the rarest agave in the world and ripping them out of the dirt in the wild, and they're going to go extinct as a result of our insatiable thirst for the rarest agave out there. And yes, a lot of these agave are endangered, but not because Mezcal drinkers are seeking out the weirdest, wildest ones. Something like 85% of all Mezcal that's drank in the United States is still made with espadine, which Mm -hmm. is doing fine. It is not an endangered right. species. These species that are endangered are endangered for a number of reasons. They're endangered because of habitat destruction, which is as a result of people building uh, farms for cattle and ripping it out to plant, of all things, barley for beer, but also blue Weber agave for tequila. So that's kind of what's causing the danger for these rarer species of agave that actually are kind of on the tipping point. Right. So an argument could be made. It's not the mezcal drinkers that are ruining it uh, or, or depleting it, I should say. It's the tequila drinkers. The tequila drinkers and the beer drinkers and the hamburger eaters. Yes, that's correct. And and it's also kind of – it ignores this sort of fundamental thing that's a little bit contradictory about farming when you think about it. But this person is a journalist. I feel like really should have noticed this, that like if you want – to save something, eat it and drink it. Like the best thing, the yeah. best thing that can happen to you on this planet as a species right now is for human beings to think that you taste good. Cows are never going to go extinct as long as human beings are around. And sure, <laughs> it's not great for the individual cow that gets turned into a meatball, but cattle writ large are doing just fine. There have never been more cows on this planet than there are right here. Because of our desire to have them around. Yeah, exactly. I understand what you're saying. And I agree. This this has been a longstanding thing in the farming world. Like if you want to, if you want it to survive, you got to eat it. That way uh, people will create a demand for it. And that way there will be farmers that will grow it. Right. Yeah. So in a way, Sorry. I think that the the interest that mezcal drinkers have in these wild and rare agaves is going to be nothing but a good thing for these species. I think that there's mm-hmm. now a motivation to preserve them where perhaps they were just in the way of big agriculture. Now there's actually a demand for these products. Now there's a desire to keep these things around. And hopefully that's going to lead to preservation efforts. I would love if we preserved things just because we live on a beautiful planet with a fragile ecosystem and understood that. But (laughs) failing that, if we find that something that's in danger of going extinct tastes good, that's a pretty, you know, if the end result is the same, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. But then like, I have an example on that, Greg. So Scott Cron and I created a gin together, Damson gin, uh, Avril Mm -hmm. Damson gin about almost 15 years ago. Wait a second. You created Avril Damson gin. That was my idea. What? Yeah. I love that. Scott came to me. That was like one of the first things I ever discovered is like a budding, uh, you know, cocktail nerd. Oh, wow. Oh, well, cool. You think you know somebody Uh, anyway. (laughs) No, I was. So when I was working at Linnell's way back in the day, the mid 2000s, um, she would bring over like 
real slow gin from from the UK, and she brought over a couple of different damson gins, and I was like, this is awesome. This is like, like slow gin's good, but damson gin is like the the, the adult version of slow gin. At, you know, at least it was back then before we started getting some some good slow gins, right? And anyway, uh, so I did some research on it, and I was like, kind of like getting into it, and you couldn't find it anywhere here. Scott Cron, I met him while I was working at, uh, you know, he has brand DH Cron. Uh, you know, started working with Eric Seed from House Albums. Anyway, yeah. So one day he comes into Prime Meats and he's like, you know, it was like 2008 or something. And he's like, he's like, man, what's missing from the gin world? And I was like, Damson gin. Like, we need Damson gin. I think it'd be cool to have that in the U.S. market. Uh, and he was like, what the fuck is Damson gin? I'm like, yeah, you sound like everyone else that I've said this to. And he was like, well, help me figure that out. And I was like, all right, cool. So we started reaching out to different farmers around, uh, you know, the kind of tri-state area and found the last farm. It was uh, one of the Red Jacket Orchards farms uh, and they had damson plums and they were getting ready to, they were getting ready to pull the, the exact same thing, getting ready to pull them and plant something else. Like, I don't know, apples or pears, something that people actually knew and know and like. And so we were like, yeah, well, we, we want to buy some damn plums off of you. And the guy was like, uh, so how, how many? And we said, all of it. He's like, what? And it was about to like essentially go locally extinct, uh, extinct. Um, but then they ended up planning more of it because we were buying it to make the, and you know, now it's still, it's, it, I think they said that they are growing three times as many as they were before they were about to rip it out. But, you know, like, going back, that's just an example of, like, mm-hmm. what you were talking about. But, you know, like, also some of these uh, different agave varietals, you know, I mean, like, you're talking about, like, Tepetzate and Montraquiche and uh, Papalome. Like, you're talking about those kinds of, like, more obscure. You're not talking about Burial and Espadine. You're talking about the, the smaller ones. But, you know, to me, it, yeah, it, it's – they're probably obscure because no one knew what they were before, and they were probably – at one point, I'm sure that they had many more like hectares of agave planted in, in those different uh, expressions, right? But then they started backing off because it was kind of more of a more of a familial thing, right? A locals only kind of thing. So like it makes sense that you know they probably started planting more Blue Weber and Espadine. So I like what you said about if you want to save something, like start consuming it, you know, to yeah. a certain degree, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we've actually found working on ancestral agave nectar too, is that like, you know, a lot of these communities, one of the things that I like about doing this work is that these folks have been caring for these particular types of agave for generations. They want to keep farming it, but people are offering them a lot of money to rip their agave out and plant plant barley, which kind of brings us to the other news item for agave. Uh, (laughs) There is both not enough and too much of it. So Sother, you shared something interesting with us at the top of the show. Do you want to summarize that little news piece? Yeah, I just saw a post yesterday from Tequila Matchmaker on Instagram that was a 30-second post with a voice overlay, and it showed truckloads of small agave plants uh, being ground up into mulch, basically, to feed cattle. And and the overlay of voice was saying that it was... um, uh, they were ripping it out of the ground. Exactly what we're just talking about. They're ripping it out of the ground because they foresee that there's going to be a bust in the agave market. So it's odd to think that they were having uh, articles in in, uh, in the in a, in a paper like the Post saying that we're running low, and that at the same time we're seeing uh, from Tequila Matchmaker, a pretty you know trusted uh, voice for tequila and, and and agave in general, say that uh, farmers are ripping it out. 
to plant other crops, quote unquote, the other cash crops that'll make them more money in the short run, which is maybe short-sighted, but, uh, you know, it just, it, it speaks to this boom and bust cycle that keeps going round and round with agave. Well, the other, the other key thing on, on this particular piece of, uh, fear-based journalism is that I think that from what we could tell, it looks like what they're whipping, ripping out is Blue Weber. It looks like it's all Blue Weber, right. which mm-hmm. that does make sense. And that doesn't concern me too much because I'm already worried about the monoculture of Blue Weber and mm-hmm. the potential for blight that that raises for that yeah. particular subspecies of agave. So I'm not crazy concerned. And, and like you said, it does make economic sense. I mean, to get really macro here, beer as a category, especially in the US, has been dropping like a stone for the last two or three years. But one of the only resilient categories has been Mexican lagers. So your Modelos, Mm -hmm. your Coronas are now all of a sudden extraordinarily valuable. So that's why you're seeing so much money and so much incentive to rip out these agaves, these Blue Weber, apparently, as well as some of the ancestral plants that I work with, uh, to plant, you know, stuff that's gonna become a Tecate one day. Right. I'm not as concerned about the Blue Weber. I think Blue Weber as a species is going to be right. fine overall, right. knock on wood. I had similarly optimistic um, tea gazing about the coronavirus pandemic four years ago, and we all see how that turned out. But <laughs> I I don't know. It's, it's, it's just so – it's so wild how you can get – fear-mongering on two sides of this argument that are both arguing opposite things but trying to make people afraid and scared about the thing that they like it's just can i'm gonna tie yeah i'm gonna tie the two things together in a weird weirdly loose way so we can maybe segue into a guest eventually um (laughs) oh yeah that the beer garita don't worry about me (laughs) yeah do you remember the beer garita guys uh so anheuser-busch had a, a, a civil suit back in 2022 about their beer garita uh the the public complained that uh they thought they were being duped because there was no tequila in their sparkling margarita beer product um even though i voiced over and over that i think the consumer was was taking this too far it's the um, you know, for frivolous lawsuit or what what have you um however Anheuser-Busch uh, lost the suit and they posted out that they were having to pay people back. And they said, if you have ever purchased one and have a receipt, you can turn that receipt in up to so, so much money. I can't even recall it so long ago. They also said, if you have ever had one and don't have a receipt, you can still file for a lower amount of money. I filed. I encouraged everybody to file because I've certainly had one. I've got my envelope here two years later. We're going to open it and see how much, how much money <laughs> I'm making. Well, I just, I thought also like in the end, I'm sure I've bought enough Anheuser-Busch products that they owe me a beer. So here it is. Uh, this check is issued pursuant to the terms in the class action settlement Browning et al. versus Anheuser-Busch LLC, case number blah, 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 blah. Your submitted claim for a settlement award and the settlement administrator has determined it was timely and valid. The enclosed check constitutes a full satisfaction of your claim, only valid for 90 days past issue date. Please deposit promptly. And my check is for a whopping Six dollars and five cents, which All I'm going to right. use, which I'm going to use my phone to deposit, and then I'm going to frame this check from Anheuser Busch. Amazing. So there we go. I got my uh, Anheuser Busch bought me a beer. It's a good day for justice, guys. You got a buyback. That's great, man. It only took two boys. years. I got a buyback from the big boys. Can you even buy a beer for six dollars these days? I don't think I'm you can. Outside of Mexico. City. That's like uh, just the tip on a beer. 
Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the voice of the lovely and talented Frankie Marshall chiming in. Frankie's our guest today. Uh, we're stoked to have you on the show. Uh, we tried to have you on last week, but uh, errors got in the way, and uh, uh, but we're glad you're here today. Um, so welcome to the Speakeasy. <sighs> I am so excited to be here. Thank you all so much. I want to thank America and the rest of the world in advance. Thank you all for having me. The rest of the world appreciates having you here. So be- <laughs> before before the show, when Souther was, uh, you know, parading his uh, $6.05 check around. Listen, I, I opened it right here on air. I wasn't, I wasn't parading the check. I was just oh, but you were, you were very proud of the envelope. You were excessively proud of yourself for, for having uh, – <laughs> fought the law and won but uh frankie you mentioned that you had a adjacent story (laughs) and i'm really curious where that was going well you know so yeah i went to do my laundry just so you know i miss busting today folks i actually do my own laundry i don't do drop-off service so yeah so i went to do my laundry the other day opened my 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 bottle of tide and i was pouring it in and it was all black it kind of like black and dark green and i thought is this a new type of tide what's going on and then i just used a little bit of it uh because i was scared and i came home and i googled you know weird looking tide and it turned out that's a thing that uh that happens when it's either been heated or it sat around for too long and there was a phone number to call i called the number somebody actually answered and i said my tide is black and she said oh we're very sorry about that to please continue use discontinue use and uh, they sent me a gift card for she said well what size did you buy i said the biggest one yeah, and of course. they sent me <laughs> how about a subscription they, truckload of those size <laughs> i got a I, $10 I operate a longer gift mat. card i bought the largest right. yeah yeah <laughs> so i got a 10 dollar gift card plus another 2 dollar off coupon so and it came within a week so there you go folks if you get that monstrous hideous looking dark green gray black tide don't use it and call in and get your money. Yep. You got ten bucks in a month from a laundry detergent. It took me two years to get six bucks from Anheuser Busch. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, it's clean against alcohol. You know, clean against evil. Clean, I, I guess that's what it is. Well, Frankie, God, what is it you're crazy. doing these days to keep yourself busy? Because we see you all over the place. You're recently in Imbibe Magazine. Uh, you do uh, judging at World Class. Uh, you've hosted 50 Best. Uh, you are a champion for French things like cognac and Pinot de Chiron. Like, what's what's up, Frankie? Well, that's that's all up. You know, I I am what uh, we call I. I, should I even use this term? The hyphenate? You know, I really do all of these things. And I do call myself this modern bartender. And it's mm-hmm. not to be pretentious, but it really is because I think that's exactly what I do these days. I, I, I still bartend mm-hmm. occasionally. And uh, I do – I'm a freelance person right now. So I do all these other things, whatever – almost whatever pays the bills. And uh, so, yeah, it's really been exciting for me to be able to kind of jump into these different um, arenas, if you will, and be able to work across categories. I do work a lot with the the French things, uh, the the great base, but I work with, you know, all categories and all kinds of liquids. And uh, so for me, that's been really exciting, being able to do that and uh, I guess carving out that niche for myself. Um, but as we know, with freelance life comes, it's sometimes it's feast or famine, right? right? So, Mm -hmm. um, right now we're a little bit in, it's not quite famine mode, but it's, (laughs) I mean, darling, you know, I mean, I'm still drinking champagne and caviar, just, you know, only maybe (laughs) three times a week now, you know, maybe just three rather than every damn day. (laughs) 
Well, it's it's post Q four, you know, and there's you know the we get so like caught up in all the events during the holidays and like, we're all like hustling and everything, but then like Q1 comes around and it kind of slows down. But at the same time, you're able to do all that stuff because first of all, you're very talented and you're very knowledgeable, but you also live in New York city, you know, like New York city is the, the real key to being able to spend that many plates of, of caviar and uh, you know, and, and, and balance out like a lifestyle to where you can be working an event one night uh, and then the next day you're like teaching a class and then that evening you're bartending and then, you know, like th- and then you're doing a radio show and then you're uh, contributing yeah. to an article, you know, it's like, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, d- dance markets are the only places where this lifestyle can, can manifest. Well, that's yeah. first of all, thank you um, for the compliment. And it is interesting because I, you know, we all, I have the privilege of traveling quite a bit and I do go to other cities and think, well, you know, I'd I'd really like to spend some time living here. And what I immediately say to myself right after is, but how do I make money? (laughs) How do I make money living in all these other places? And you're so right. I'm lucky. uh, You know, some of us here are lucky to live in New York where exactly what you just said, Damon, it's, it's that it's that people can call you up and say, Oh, you're here. Okay. Come and do this or come and do that. They don't have to fly you in. Uh, you know, they, they, of course, they they will fly certain people in, but you know, why would they do that when they've got all this talent? Got, here? Yeah, right. exactly. And it's so, it's not just the fact that you live in the city. I, I want to like say that it's not just the fact that you live in the city where there are a lot of opportunities. It's like you actually are one of those people who knows how to do all of those things and do them very well. Yeah, and seek those things out. Just because they exist doesn't mean yeah. people seek them out, right? Right. Well, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I have gotten much better over the years uh, at being, at, at, you know, softly, aggressively <laughs> seeking out work. And Souther is really great at that. You know, Souther, you're a great self promoter. You know, I mean, you're the <laughs> shameless, quite frankly. And, uh, <laughs> no, but I, you you have to be. You have to really just go to people and say, hey, you know, I can do this. And I mean, I had someone a couple of years ago say to me, oh, I thought you only worked with cognac. And I looked at them and said, first of all, yeah. that doesn't, how would that even work? I'm a bartender. How could I right. just work with cognac? Yeah, and uh, yeah, secondly, just no, I, and don't limit me. And you have to remind people about that sometimes, you know, is that um, of what you can do and and the knowledge that you have, if you have it, or what you're, what you're willing to do, that kind of thing. Because people just assume or they can assume that, oh, you know, maybe what well, this person can only do these things or even maybe they only will work for this amount of money <laughs> or yeah. maybe they you can, or I can only pay them this or, you know, so you really have to lay things out. And I will say I've gotten much better and it's, it's been hard sometimes to have those conversations. And sometimes people don't know how to take you because they think, Oh, she's a little this or, you know, that's a little aggressive or whatever it is. It's right. Not. But your pedigree, your pedigree speaks volumes, right? You, you've worked in great places like Clover Club and the Dead Rabbit, especially while you were there. Both of those places were kind of in their, their big push heydays. Um, and you've gone on to do all these other things. I think our listener, the reason I wanted to have you on is because of all these things you do. I think our listener would love to understand, like, how do you even crack into these things <laughs> such as becoming a teacher at Bar, uh, at bar 5 or becoming the host of 50 Best? Um, like, where... Where did you can I, scout that can opportunity? How did you follow up on it? Yeah. Do you, do you mind if I piggyback a follow up question for for later on for that? Um, also, how do you navigate 
certain contractual obligations like non-disclosures and non-competes when it's mm-hmm. like a say it's a category uh that's you know the, a, a light category or there's uh you know like overlapping with contract times things like that i, I would lo- i think a lot of people would like to hear that too because yeah i think we all kind of struggle with that sometimes you know? yeah, a lot of people right. being me i'm taking notes over here i just ignore those <laughs> what does NDA mean? Is that a new drug, NDA? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, first of all, how do I get in? You know, there's a little bit of luck, a little bit of, uh, you know, the serendipity thing. I mean, you know, I used to compete quite a bit in competitions mm-hmm. as, you know, Southern and I have competed together. Uh, we competed in, actually, just looking back the other day at the Louis Royer comp and uh, world class. That's right. So just just to go in one direction, so I did compete in world class. Right, we were there together. I won't say the year. It was, at, it was the moment. first year of world class in the United it, States, right? Well, it actually, what I was in the second year. So. Oh, the second year. Okay, I was yeah, in. Yeah, but you were so, yeah. right. So um, anyway, so that was one thing that, and being a part of the USBG, I was vice president of the USBG in New York for two years, mm-hmm. and that opened the door to uh, judging competitions because they, you know, brands would partner with USBG and they wanted to have a USBG person as a judge. Mm-hmm. So that's when I, you know, so that was my kind of entree into judging. And then I started doing more and I got better at it because another myth buster, just because you're a bartender uh, doesn't mean you're a great judge of cocktails. True. It doesn't mean you have a great palate. These are things that you need to work on. And uh, I will say that I've had to work on mine and I've worked on my analytical skills and things like that. So um, I think, uh, you know, being around other people who, you know, judging alongside other people and them have saying maybe to themselves or to other people, ah, you know, she's maybe she's good at this or maybe she's, you know, it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like everyone said, I'm a really great judge now because I think that there's always still work to be done there. And judging spirits is different than judging cocktails as well. So, um, sure. but I, so just, yes, yeah, so I think USBG opened up the door for me there with that. The judging, competing in world class led me to, um, think a lot more about world-class later on, did some judging for the, the paper submissions. And then I started judging the top 100, um, you know, from the 100, they go down to the 30. And I just did that recently, la- earlier this month. Ago, yep. Yeah. Um, so it's things like that. And again, competitions, you know, meeting people from brands or meeting other, other bartenders who you're competing against who eventually go on to do other things and remember you. It's that kind of thing. You know, I always tell people that when you're competing, and I didn't, <laughs> I had a couple of breakdowns at a couple of competitions where I was very sad. Actually, to be honest, the world class hit me hard because oh. that was a really tough competition that it one was. we did there. It was really, really difficult and I wasn't ready for that. And, uh, uh, you know, and I think, well, I know that I believe you always have to remain professional, even when you're not doing well, even if you lose, because, you know, we've seen people do, you know, un- unmentionable things, unconscionable things. And then that just you know, hurts your reputation. But mm-hmm. if you can, if you can get out of a situation like that, learn something, you know, still kind of, you know, smile and shake hands. Uh, people remember that. They and do. because there's always brand people looking at you, there's always, again, other bartenders, you never know where people are going to end up. So um, it's that kind of thing. And um, with the hosting, to be honest, you know, I, and Damon, you do this too, you come from a theatrical or a musical background. Right, so used to being on stage, right? You've got your band with your brother. Yeah. The band of aren't you called Band of Brothers? Just brothers. That, that was our brothers. Band. I'm sorry, brothers. Yeah, but brothers. yeah, but I also I also did theater too, you know. And like, mm. it's it's interesting talking to certain people in the industry who've had like stage time like that and how they apply it. Like, 
people like, I mean, for, un- for instance, Dale DeGroff, you know, and sure. like, yeah. guys like um, Robin Rick Robinson, Rick. you know? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah there's I a lot. Mean, a lot of performance-based, like, uh, backgrounds for, you know, people, even like, you know, uh, people like uh, Katie Stipe, who was a uh, dancer, dancer, right? Yeah. You, know, yeah. you know, there's for a lot sure. of different ways to do it. Yeah. For sure. And a lot of us come from that background. So for me, it was, you know, being on stage has always been, for a long time, it's just been a natural thing. It's, I've no problem. I mean, the only time I'm scared on stage is my Mikey, you're no. such a shy, demure person. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, that's how I actually got my 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 Instagram name, you know, because I always consider myself a shrinking violet. Oh. And then I became a drinking violet. Darling, <laughs> darling. There's thought involved in these things. Oh. No, but so, but it, it's interesting, though, because I, I knew I could do it for a long time, but I don't think a lot of people were looking, again, in my direction because there were other people there. Uh, you know, um, and, you know, things change, you know, the tide shifts, pendulums swing. And uh, I, uh, interestingly, with 50 Best, I, got, I did get the call, and this is a little covered in that Imbibe article, but I got a call from Mark Sansom, who was the content director at the time, to meet up. Yep, he's been on the show. Uh, Great guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Yes. You know, for tea. And here I was thinking that I was going to go in and I was going to just, you know, to talk to him about what was going on with 50 Best. And then, uh, you know, I... He mentioned the, the ceremony and I said, who's hosting? And he said, we don't know yet. And I literally just, you know, slowly put my hand up you know, like, and he, he kind of, you know, tilted his head to one side and said, really? And I went, yeah, yeah, really. Um, but little did, and then I found out later that he actually was there to interview me for that, but I didn't know. So he'd already gotten a recommendation. <laughs> yeah. So here I was thought I was, I was being, you know, and yeah. I was being there's that aggressiveness. I it's not it's the word aggression forth forthrightness. Is that, what's the word for? I think assertive, uh, assertive. I think any of those and, words fit. You know, you you got to be a little bit aggressive. You got to be forthright, and you got to be assertive. You got to. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's we're, true. It's we're, true. We're at the kind of tail end of awards season right now, and, and you know, all the people who complain every year that they got overlooked. I, I always just ask them, "Well, did you nominate yourself?" Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the answer exactly. is, is overwhelmingly, typically, "I didn't know you could do that." Well, right, yeah. Write your name think, on the ballot. How do you think people Even are going to know you're spot. in the game if you you got <laughs> yeah. you got to sign up for the team before the coach puts you in the fucking game? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think there's this, you know, there's a little bit of that. People want to shame you for that kind of thing, you know, for being this like for selling yourself exactly they're they're shaking their heads folks right now yeah. everyone's the chance the, the studio are shaking their heads they're saying no to that no yeah, you gotta sell, you gotta sell yourself everything absolutely uh, we, we 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 all listen i think bartenders specifically and that's who listens to the show bartenders and people who are interested in us we're we all talk about the fact that we are ourselves beyond the places we work a brand and yes. brands sell themselves <laughs> Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you you've never yeah. heard of a brand that doesn't advertise or get it in front of you so you must get yourself in front of people so exactly. I, I applaud you for what you do i well, think uh i think uh you know you take the piss out of me for being a shameless um but i think you're the shameless one you put it right <laughs> out there you, you you walk the walk you talk the talk you dress the look like you well, you, um, you know that's it, you it's are, true i mean i we you know <laughs> it, it does not go unnoticed <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate that, darling. Thank you. Yes. But uh, and as far as the um, but I will say just back on that note, there was a time, you know, when people would look at you sideways and kind of go. I, and I definitely experienced this working in certain places. Change. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. And they have, thankfully. But there was definitely this kind of like, well, who do you think you are? Anyway, now they know. I think I'm somebody so, trying to get that bag. That's who I think I am. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and as far as your question about navigating the NDAs and and the the non compete, uh, luckily timing has been on my side, um, but also being really honest about okay. I'm going into this thing, but you know what? I'm working on this right now. Uh, it's going to end this point. Can we work around this? And so it's being really honest with the people that you're dealing with and 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 taking stock of what you're doing. Like you have to monitor your social presence. Uh, you know, obviously I did world-class uh, for Diageo um, and, you know, maybe they're, they're, they didn't want to see uh, me talking about other spirits during that time or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, so this could be something that might show up in a contract. You can negotiate these things. I, I do encourage people to actually read through the contract. Mm -hmm. well, Sometimes yeah. it's right. I mean, it's it's basic, but it's true. Just like when you compete, you read through the uh, the requirements and you, you 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 just see if you can make some adjustments. And I know I certainly have made adjustments with my contracts. Um, so yeah, it's, it's possible. It's also it's not coming out of your pocket to have the lawyer to uh, to to renegotiate or re rewrite the contract. It's on them, right? right so exactly. like, might as well make some notes and have them change. Like honestly, like we've we've had many sponsors on the show and in the station where you know, like for us, like we have different guests on every week, and they could be you know, a bar personality, uh, cocktail personality such as yourself. It could be a brand. It could be an author. It could be, it could be anyone from anywhere. You know, it could be a, a beer company. And so like, we can't, we can't just by nature of what this show is, we can't actually sign anything that's like a non-compete because why would you even come to us with right. any kind of copy, copywriting, uh, sponsorship agreement, knowing that that's that. So Knowing that there are parameters that you can get around and I especially like what you said about like kind of managing the calendar for the brands, but really that's also for you too. I mean, cause yeah. like when, when you do that many things, um, it just like you can really run yourself ragged and you can also like the worst thing, uh, even worse than, <laughs> so it, it depends on where your head's at with this, but sometimes even worse for me than like, running myself ragged is like running or tarnishing a little bit of my, uh, my own brand based on the fact yep. that I didn't manage. That's what I was going to get into. Yes. Yeah, mm. exactly. And, and like, if there was an overlapping contract and it's like, Oh shit, I'm sorry. I just overlooked that. It's not a good look. It's not a good yeah. look to overlook. Right. So it, it's just, it's, it's for your own sanity and for your own business and brand to like, really like look out for the calendar. And it, yeah, yeah, like you said, like time timings on your side, because you're conscious of it. It's not because it just worked out. It's because you're actually conscious of it and managing that, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think as a, when you do have your own brand, as your own person, as, as a bartender, whoever you are, uh, you, you do have to perhaps consider if you want the, the brands that you work with and the brands that you'd like to work with. And maybe, you, you know, we know some people, we won't mention any names who will work with anybody. Right? Yeah. They will take anybody's money. Uh, and that's fine if if you want to do that, but maybe you you don't. Maybe you only want to work with certain types of you know people are thinking a lot more about sustainability or, or, or best practices that brands mm -hmm. put forth these days. Maybe you only want to work with those brands, but not everybody has that privilege. So I think that you really need to sit down with yourself and 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 decide who you know what your brand looks like and and what how you'd like to navigate all of that. You know, and it is a privilege to to be to be able to say you know, pour some liquor 
some spirit down the drain because you don't believe in what right. these people are doing or or whatever or what have you. So um, you know, just think about it and be at peace yeah. with it, and then yeah. I've, def- I've definitely at, at times when I've been approached by certain brands that I was like, you know, just to be nice and kind of like tip, like kind of like back away slowly. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've been like, well, you know, like I've I've used it as an excuse where like uh as far as categorically it's a, a competition and like i'm already working with this brand like that's like say it's a gym company and mm-hmm. uh you know and i'm already working with a gym company and that's not to say that i'm actually am right at this moment but i often do and so i want to make sure that i'm keeping those relationships going because i know that there's going to be another contract for a thing in probably three months and i don't want to get in the way of that. And yeah. you can kind of use that as an excuse for working for another gin company that you really just don't really want to work with. It's I, a nice way of, it's a good cop out. <laughs> I would actually, but, uh, I, I don't know. I would, I would actually disagree with that a little bit there, Damon. I think that there is. And um, sometimes you got to say something about it, you know, exactly, but, like, exactly. Let, and let, and I, I'm not going to tip our hand too much, but recently on this show, we had a little bit of a, a, a situation mm. along those lines Indeed, and it caused a bit of a dust up. We could have just backed out um, quietly, but instead we said why we were backing. No, out. we said what we and yeah, and exactly. I think that it's you know a lot of a lot of people are a little pissed off at us. Um, I got I've gotten some angry mm-hmm. emails, but I also I think that that's the only call. that's the only way that these brands who you know I mean these brands who are so big they need to be held accountable to the impact that they're having on the industry right uh will pay attention and so i think sometimes you need to kick up a little bit of dust i think that's the right yeah. thing to do under certain situations but greg what what i'm saying personally uh for for my own brand is like the the brands that i've been approached by that i was like eh, maybe i'm not ready to work with you yet it's not that i have anything against them it's just that i'm happier working with the other brand that i'm already currently working with and it's just an right. easy way to get out of it because and I want to keep that runway open and available for future uh, collaboration. Because it's not that I don't want to work with them; it's just like I don't want to work with them right now. Yeah, you know? and I think that you know, again, being very honest, and 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 it has to do also with where you are in your career. There are certain when I was starting out, there are certain brands that I definitely wouldn't have thought twice about working with. Um, but maybe now I'm hesitant, and maybe it was the other way around. Actually, sometimes mm-hmm. as well. Right. Um, and again, frankly, I worked at certain bars where you know we weren't actually allowed to work with certain brands because it would have because sure. I was working at that bar and I was representing that bar so sure. uh you know and now right. of course, I'd, be, I'd be hard yeah. pressed to let anyone on my team work for a vodka company since we don't carry any vodka and we never have right uh, mm-hmm. that's not to say that there aren't great vodka companies out there and that there are brands that maybe my team would want to work for but I would have to have like a real sit down with someone to have them convince me right I understand that for 100 percent yeah. You have a steady job. You're representing that job every day, right? Yes, yes, yes. What's other? That doesn't doesn't that kind of go away from like allowing them to do like freelance work on the side? I mean, like it doesn't mean you have to carry their vodka, right? I mean, no, I, that's the thing. I would have to make it explicitly clear to my employee. Let's say you know if Bruce wanted to work for a vodka, he doesn't. I'm just using him as a name here. But if Bruce wanted to work for a vodka company, I'd have to say to him, "You cannot make any deal with these people that says that a more will promote, use, right, sure. buy." 
you know, yeah. anything. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, so uh, and then what that would so what that would also mean then is if Bruce was going to go do a, a pop up with this vodka at another bar, I wouldn't want a Moore's name attached to that either, right? Because we don't carry that vodka, we can't promote that vodka. They're trading on my name at that point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can I can see that from all sides. You know, I can see that from the bartender's perspective of wanting to, like Damon said, have this autonomy and be able to, you know, have the side hustle. But sure. then from the owner, and I want them to have that. I want them to have that. Right. Me. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely, definitely been through that. <clears throat> Sorry, but again, that goes back to the negotiation and the open communication. I think that's really important, you know, mm -hmm. to to be able to, to to do that. Yeah, for sure. Don't, don't hide in the shadows, Frankie. I'm not, yeah, Frank, <laughs> Frankie. I'm not trying to uh, age you here, but hey, you, then don't. Next, look, you've, <laughs> been, <laughs> you've been bartending for a little while, uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I mentioned a couple of the bars that you've been at, and there are many more. Um, you know. In your notes to us, you said you wanted to talk about the industry today, but I think the way to talk about the industry today is to maybe reflect and talk about the industry past. What what have you seen that's been significant in your trajectory that's uh, that's changed for the good or for the bad in our in our field? You know, we're always trying to improve, but I think uh, uh, so. That, uh, well. First of all, I just threw out that topic just to, you know, because I didn't just know what else to say. Just space. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think we all, we all this, talk about. This sounds exciting and intelligent industry today. <laughs> no, but uh, what I do think has changed is, uh, you know, as we're alluding to earlier, that more of this openness and just accepting of people as who they are rather than the strict kind of dictum of, okay, you must dress this way. You must know these things. You must... Uh, think these things about these brands or the, these categories. I mean, let's be honest, there was a time when nobody wanted to talk, touch vodka, you know, and I never gave up on vodka because I came up working in bars that sold a lot of vodka before I got into sure. even working with cocktails. So uh, that's just one example. I so mean, now, I, I, just, uh, so, just so we don't get raked in any comments or anything, I, I'm not against vodka. It simply doesn't yeah. work at the program at Amore Margo. I have vodka right. at my other bars, just mm. not that, just not that. Right, one. right. Um, and it could it could be any, you know, it could be whatever spiced rum or. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, just trying to. Protect, I'm, not, I'm just I'm trying not, to protect yeah. myself right no, now. No, I, I get it. I mean, too, I'm not <laughs> against like any. You guys will come yeah. at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, you, well, oh, never mind. But uh, so the just this kind of openness and this openness about uh, being able to speak about things, whether it's mental health, and I know we talk a lot about that, and it's a bit of a, you know, trendy topic to talk about, even though it's a serious one. But um, yeah, there, there was a time when you just, you know, we weren't so into listening to people as much. Uh, and mm -hmm. I do think that's, that's really changed. And I think that that's a really positive thing. And, uh, um, but, uh, and being able to to, to, to size up. There was a time when, remember, there was the, the one brand person who worked for that brand, and that was complete your brand. But now brand people, you see them going from working with across categories. Yeah. Right? And I think that that's really great. You know, you know, there's, there's no longer this kind of uh, being held to, to one kind of uh, just in, in one lane. Right. As I was talking about earlier, you can right. just, you can, you can jump around a lot more and it's fine. You know, as long as you know what you're doing, as long as you've got that integrity, that's okay. And I, I like those things. I mean, I there's a lot more that's changed, but those are just things that are top of mind. Well, any, does, does anything specifically come to mind being a woman in the field and then even further being a black woman in the field? Like, does, does that uh, have any weight on you or anything that you, I'm sure you've seen some changes, but, but are any of them significant to you in any way? You know, <laughs> I hate having to be to ask the answer that question. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just give you. Just, and I can rescind. <laughs> yeah. You, 
Uh, let me just put it this way. Somebody, the, uh, I was having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you're, quote unquote, you're a badass black female, uh, unquote, end quote. And I took a real exception to that. And uh, I was just, you know what, you could, first of all, I hate the term badass. It's overused. And I do. But I said, you know, you could have just stopped at badass. Yeah. That's the moral. Do I need to say more? No, <laughs> I don't think I don't so. Think so. You, but but I, would, I would ask. I would ask more. Do you think that that's finally beginning to happen? Do you think you're seeing less of that? Yeah, I really do. I do. I, I kind of uh, think so too. But just, I'm but I'm uh, on the wrong side of it. I don't know if it's true. I, I feel yeah, like that's that's come down quite a bit. Well, that's another way, and that I've personally been assertive and aggressive in is really calling people on that because I don't like it. I think it's insulting. Mm-hmm. Because what that does is that puts me into a box, right? Yep. That puts me into the female category. All right. All, all right. Line up, ladies. You're all over there. All right. Then we're going to further separate you. We're <laughs> going to put the, let's put the ones over the, these colors over there. And we're going to, you know, it's like laundry. I don't, you know, going back to the Tide reference. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. I don't need it. Get it out of my face. Call customer service. Demand a That's refund. deal. Yeah. Yeah, and it better be more than a ten dollar gift card. <laughs> yeah, well, I, to me, you're I, more of like a, a pink and purple sunshine. Uh, but, that's what you are to me. <laughs> and let me let me just go back to just so in case there are people. Uh, this is really important to a lot of people, and I, I'm not discounting it. I'm just saying that it's it's another topic. I think it's a big topic, and it's something I'd really need to dive into, but it's not something I like to bring up. Cause if we're talking about me, I'd rather just talk about me as to who I am yeah. in the industry, which is Ms. Frankie Marshall. And I'm, but there are other people to whom this is a very important issue and I'm not saying it's not for them. And so that's all I'm saying. No, totally. And I do, I, yeah. I, there's a question that Thank I've you. sort of been, been wondering about Ms. Frankie Marshall. Actually, I guess everybody on this call, this sort of applies to, because this, you know, we've been talking about like building a brand and uh, you know, growing awareness of like self-knowledge and uh being you know the the industry as a whole being a little bit just kind of more accepting of like all different uh working styles and types of people and just being less snobby and i i wonder i've been i've been wanting to ask this this whole time because i get the feeling that you and i are like in a way where for a long period in at least my life I thought that I was just kind of at the the whim of chaos that like there was a, you know, I, my life was just a chaotic force. And I, as the person trying to stabilize it was constantly having to like, you know, hold up the dam against all of these like different impending deadlines and potentially conflicting interests and making sure that like everything worked out. And I've sort of realized now that I think I'm starting to slow down slightly in with age and hopefully wisdom, I've sort of realized that like, I'm not a victim of circumstance. I'm not a victim of chaos. I'm not just like at a certain point after 35 years, I had to sort of acknowledge, oh, it's me. Like I am the common denominator in all of these chaotic things that have been happening in my life. The reason that I have friends who look at me and go, it must be exhausting to live the way you live is me. And on some level, it is that way because I like it that way. And I just wonder if that is something that, you know, we were talking about spinning all these plates and uh, having all of these projects and making sure that, you know, we can stay one step ahead of 
our deadlines bearing down on us so that we don't tarnish our own brand. I'm wondering if that kind of strikes a chord with you and if that's something that you've ever thought about. Um, I'm not sure that I have. I'm not sure how to answer that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, all I know is that, you know, I'm always trying to do more. You know, I'm not really, I'm never really satisfied. So, um, so in that sense, and I don't know if this is really answering your question, but I'll, but in that sense, I think that that's where sometimes chaos comes in because there's this kind of, for me, all right, what's next? What can I do? Uh, what do I need to be doing? Um, rather than just kind of sitting around going, yeah, okay, that's good. I did a great job. Now, you know, I can relax for a while. And I know Souther that, well, I shouldn't speak for you, but I think we've had conversations where, yeah. Yeah, so I feel, I feel you, the same. I think yeah. I, if I were to, if, if Greg were to ask me that same question, <clears throat> I would have said something along the lines of, of cliche that I say all the time, right? The harder I the harder I work, the luckier I get. So that chaos is starting to calm down for you, Greg, and I think for all of us, as you simply get better at the hard work that you're constantly doing, and those opportunities come to you more more easily. Uh, that's not because the opportunities are coming more easily; it's because you put in the work so that they'll come to you at all. Right. The harder I work, the luckier I get. It's kind of a mantra that I And you put yourself out there more, too, by yeah. doing that. You know? Right. It, become, it becomes like a snake that eats itself, like, a, you know, perpetual motion starts to come into play. True. But I think that's a, yeah, I think that's ideal. I, I don't know if it's always like that for me. I do feel like there, there's still work to be done. Oh, of course. Uh, and there's there's efforts to be to to be put in. Um, for sure. Um, but even the story you related earlier, you know, you, you thought you were having tea with Mark Sansom, uh, but yeah. he was, he was, he was interviewing you for the game, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's because it came to you and it came to you not for no reason. It came to you because you put in some work prior. You know? And somebody put in a good word. <laughs> and somebody put in a good word. Yeah. Uh, but that well, was also because of the work word. you put in, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it all, it all, it's all related and it all ties back in my opinion. Um, yeah, and like you were saying before, it's like you never know you never know who you're you like, never know who's watching. serving or working next to or who's working for you, you know. Like that's another thing. It's like you know, I've had a lot of employees who have gone on to like do like really incredible stuff and you know, Thomas Wall worked for me at Primates and then I ended up working for him at ZZ's Clan Bar. Right. You know, so it's like <laughs> yeah. you know, there's there's yeah. you know, it's like I really worked building. with David Bolte at Prime Meats and then I'm on the show with David Bolte. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So and, that kind of stuff, you know. It's but that's also been the magic of New York. <laughs> and I knew Damon Bolte when he got that Fernet tattoo. Can we talk about that? You still have uh, that. Yeah, like, they don't go away, Frank. <laughs> yeah, it just got bigger. It just got bigger with the more uh, the the lazier I got in California in more burritos <laughs> I've been eating, and the less I've been uh, walking up and down, Eagles, you know, four four store walk. <laughs> the, the, the Eagles' wings now flap when he jogs. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't exactly. believe that. Yeah, I don't believe <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, Get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. 
Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Lou Bank. And I'm Greg Benson. And this is an ad for Ancestral Agave Syrup, the critically acclaimed award-winning syrup that helps gringo bartenders better make margaritas, wait, wait, Negronis, Lou, hold and up, hold up, wait. old Are you just, fashions. This is how you start your podcast. What? It's not an ad for Ancestral Agave Syrup. Well, of course it is. I'm just cutting costs. By not paying writers to make something new, I'm just using an old script. You pay writers? Is that some kind of jab? No, I'm just saying what, that... What What are you saying? Well, look, we've got this amazing syrup that's made in an ancestral manner, cooked down from the sap of the agave, harvested the way these families would to make pulque. It's a quality product. It deserves yeah, a yeah. quality presentation. Yeah, okay, okay, hang on. <clears throat> ancestral agave syrup is made by real families following traditional methods. Unlike the industrial Blue Weber syrup you get everywhere else, Ancestral is cooked down from Aguamiel, harvested from Salmiana in Hidalgo, Mexico. It is the grade A Vermont maple to the sticky diner syrup you've been using for your cocktails. Ingredients matter both in how your cocktail tastes and how you treat the earth. Ancestral is better for both. Is that good? Uh, sure. Or maybe confusing instead of cheesy. Uh, look, just visit AncestralAgave.com to learn more and to order your world-class agave syrup today. And we'll call that a wrap. Catch you next ad, Greg. Uh, hasta pronto? Ancestral Agave Syrup. Available online at ancestralagave.org and wherever Greg and Lou are able to coerce store owners into carrying it. Oh, actually, you know what, Greg? I wanted to talk about something like, like just kind of like, uh, you've worked at some really incredible spaces in New York City, uh, in, in the bar. Um, I wanted to actually talk about something close by uh, on Atlantic Avenue, that like Dungeness like <laughs> bar on Atlantic yes. Avenue on the North Boudoir. Yes, the, yes, the Boudoir. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that bar was like, I don't know if it's still around. It probably isn't, I'm sure. Um, I, just because I, I assume like everything's closed. Um, <laughs> but um what a wild place and what like so uh, speaking of like having a brand first of so, all I so it's like, like they built it the, around you exactly that's exactly right it's like they took they got you to stand still for a, a minute and then they built a bar yeah yeah no, it, that, <laughs> no that was really so it, it, it is still open the boudoir on atlantic avenue it is? Um, oh my God, yeah cool. and it was for those of you who don't know it was a marie antoinette themed mm. environment it had plush red uh, banquets and uh, I had a back room which actually led to there was an old tunnel underneath Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn right? where they used yeah. to do yeah where they used to run everything from alcohol and dead bodies or I don't know what else they used to do tours of that uh, but they don't do them any longer as far as I know but the back of that bar the walled in area led led to that tunnel so if you so the owners 
discovered that when they were building the place. They discovered the tunnel. So that was, it was a very interesting place for all those reasons. And yes, I have to say, just a quick story is that Michael Neff, a bartender friend, mm-hmm. called me one day and he said, you need to, I have a job for you. You need to take this job. And I said, I don't want a job. And <laughs> it was, it was uh, December 2015. And I was about to go to Cuba with Julio Cabrera and a bunch of great people. And um, I was just like, no, 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 it's not good time. He said, you need to, you need to talk to these people. You need to. And I said, fine. And uh, I did. And I said, no, I don't want it. I remember the owner kept calling me up. I remember I was getting my legs waxed for the trip. And the owner <laughs> called me up and said, are you, are you sure? Can you take this job? And finally I said, okay. okay. But so yeah, that came together really quickly. That was my one regret there is that I basically had two weeks to kind of put that together. And I didn't want that to be my big debut, but that's how it happened. And, and yeah, I was um, there for almost three years at that, that place. And it was a very was interesting so, experience. Yeah. I loved it so much. And it, yeah, it, you know, it's, as Southern said, it was like built around you. And like, yeah. I, like <laughs> I just remember going there like all the time and, you know, obviously like, it was a beautiful space, but you know, I just like, you're so great at hosting and like just sitting at your bar and just like being able to hang out. Like, it was so awesome. I remember taking like some of my staff there a lot. Uh, like it was a very new grand army. Yeah. Yeah. We would just walk yeah. down the road and see it. And like, it was so awesome. I guess you would have left around the time that I left to move to California. Yeah. You were there for three years. Yeah. It would have been around the same time. Yeah, around the, I guess it was eight, 18, right? Yeah, yeah somewhere exactly. in the late 15, 16, yeah. yeah, late 18. Um, and thank you for that. I appreciate it. You know, it was, uh, uh, if I had to do it again, and I, I, I'm open to, you know, running another bar again, putting that out there aggressively, there whoever's you go. listening. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I would definitely, I learned a lot. I would do things differently. But thank you for coming over because honestly, there were people who would go to, that other bar that was across, you know, it's, it was diagonally across from Long Island Bar. <laughs> People would go to Long Island Bar and never come over. And they go, oh, yeah, you're still at that place. Oh, yeah. I was like, well, I saw, you know, on social that you were across the street last night. You didn't. So, I, you know, but that always happens, right? Um, so thank you for coming in. And, yeah, that was a good experience. I learned a lot. So now I need a redo on the on the bar running. So, for, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't wait. We'll, we'll definitely be there uh, opening night. Uh, or friends and family, hopefully. But I want to, speaking of hosting, I want to talk about, I want you to talk about the your experience with 50 Best because we talked about like getting hired on for that gig. Well, what's it like being up there in front it? of us all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's one thing to be, I think it's one thing to be on stage in front of, you know, a bunch of uh, whatever, an audience, like when Damon's up on stage with his band. I, I was in a band in high school. Uh, but oh. it's got to be a totally different thing to be up on stage in front of an audience that's literally just shoulder to shoulder with people you know, respect, and work with. Yeah. And, and vice versa. Right. Yeah, and they respect you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. That's, <laughs> not, that's the ideal. Yeah, but that's the thing that's interesting when you put yourself, and we know this from performing on stage there, especially when you're the only person up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if I, I, I never really, if I think about it that way, I'd probably get really nervous. Oh, sorry. You know? um, no, 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 no. <laughs> but that's the thing. I, I don't think about it like that. I know the hardest thing for me, and the, you know, if, if anyone hasn't seen 50 Best, it's one person basically counting down the awards. It's not, you know, awards in front of a live audience of, of around what, I don't know, maybe seven to 900. And then it's also broadcast, right? So yeah, I, I, un- I, untold honest, number of bars and bar nerds are watching this show. Is yeah. That to be the first time I did it, I forgot that it was a live broadcast. Cause again, I, 
<laughs> so I just kind of, it, I just went in there and I did it. I, w- I was more concerned about, you know, my hair, getting the hair right and the outfit and, uh, and, and remembering Frankie uh, the Marshall first one. problems right there. Darling, <laughs> darling, it's not easy. I had a, like, it, what felt like a 20 pound, you know, purple extension coming out of my crown. So it was, uh, that was heavy. Yeah. But, um, I, the first one was, I think it went, uh, pretty, I did, I made a, a mistake in the first one, a big mistake that I can't, well, it, that I try to forget that I did. But so that was a very humbling moment. I don't want to talk about what it was, but anyone who saw it probably, and not a lot of people noticed, which is the great thing, except the people that affected. Yeah. Uh, but I made a big mistake. And, but aside, I recovered. And so the first one went pretty well. And when the, I was really happy to be asked back to do the second one. That and of course, they thought you did great, right? So yeah, well, I, validating. I yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, but yeah, the second one was in in Mexico, so now we had to go to San Miguel de Allende, which is great. But you know that it, it's again, it's it's travel. It's the, these things always weigh into uh, perf- performing or for me anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're never as rested, and then yep. there's all the different. There's just so many other factors to think about. And the second one was much more intense. We uh, you know had a, like, a longer rehearsal. You know, you you do that like it literally a full rehearsal beforehand, at least running it at least once or twice. So honestly, by the time I did the first one, my voice was almost gone because I'd, I'd been speaking so much. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was interesting. It, I really, really enjoyed doing it. I could barely see people because of the light. So I couldn't see exactly who was where mm-hmm. for a lot of it. Um, but I definitely, um, I, I really enjoyed it. What can I say? It was, I, I loved it. It was fun. Yeah, it you was were great. great production. I mean, the one here in New York, you were great. I mean, well, thank you. I you brought I a lot of energy sure. to the room, yeah. you know, and an excited and excitable crowd already. So, like, you hyped them up even further. I thought it was a ton of fun. Yeah, it was a great feeling. I have to say, especially in San Miguel, just hearing the, the the music pounding and this whole like seeing the lights, and that's actually just before going on when I realized, oh my god, this is a big deal. <laughs> it was really just that moment of the second one. I thought, wow, this is kind of this is kind of a big deal. So, yeah. You're a big Unless deal, Frankie Marshall. Well, oh, oh, smooches. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I really appreciate it, though. I mean, it's hard sometimes to talk about yourself. Um, it, it, I don't know. It, it just is. We can talk about what we do, but to actually uh, talk about uh, goals and dreams, and uh, it's it's hard sometimes. So, But you all make it a lot easier. Oh, well, so thank, thank you. you. No, and I, I totally oh, get that. You. It's this weird, this weird push and pull of, I mean, we're all, we're all performers. We all like being up on that stage, but also it's like, it's hard to sort of drop that facade of being, you know, the MC, the person who's like warming the room and making everybody feel good and just kind of be like, okay, but seriously, you personally, what do you actually want? That's a, that I think, I almost wonder I'm getting I'm uh, I'm I'm getting very like uh, armchair therapist today, and I apologize. I'm not sure where this is coming from. Maybe it's just warm weather that's bringing it out in me. But I do wonder if like almost a part of us is like we we like being up on that stage because it lets us be this kind of like you know this very free stylized version of ourselves, and it allows us to be like, but I'm not going to like reveal my actual true like goals and wants and ambitions here like this is a different version of me that i'm putting forward i don't know if that resonates with you at all or if i'm over two on things where i'm like you feel me on that right and you're like uh so i think what greg's trying to say here (laughs) is the bar community we're all alphas we all want to be right out front right and then you get to be up right out front of all of us like it's incredible 
So, okay. So the, I think the big difference here and correct me if I'm wrong, Miss Frankie, is that when you're behind the bar, your personality is shining, right? And that's, that is your stage. That is a type of stage, right? Yes. But it's really meant to be about the guest experience, right? And taking care of their needs and anticipating their needs and, and wants and like, just like really like crushing it and killing it. Teaching, it's like a lot of education on spirits and cocktails and history and food and all this stuff. But then when you're on stage hosting an event like this, it's not really about the hospitality. It's all you at this point. Mm-hmm. They they hired you for your personality, for who you are, which they get to see enough of. They got to see enough of uh, from you being behind the bar or at these events or cocktail competitions. And then they're like, you know what? We know you know all the rest of this shit. We just want you. We just want you and your personality and your charm to get up here and blow people's minds. And, <laughs> and that's what you did and have done. And like, uh, am I getting that right, Greg? It's like kind of taking the service element away, mostly, right? And you're just able to express who you are. And I, I want to say this really quickly because I know we're at time here. What we've been talking about on this show, we've touched on it a couple of times before, and especially where we are in the, the current state of the industry, right? Industry today, as you put it, um, personalities are encouraged more than ever, I think. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, like, we, we, we don't have to do the vest and tie thing anymore with curly mustaches, all that bullshit. Like, we had to do... A lot of that stuff uh, for a while to prove ourselves as professionals, but now people understand the the consumers have caught up, and a lot of those consumers have actually switched over to the, the service industry side too because they're yeah. like, "Wow, this is a cool thing that you can do," um, and it's fun. And I get that a lot of people who came from like the, the freaking financial district, you know, and, sure. like and lawyers, lawyers, you know, like yeah, moving over to the booth side because they're like, "This is." this is fun and cool and you can actually like make this a real profession and, and career. But the, it, the major draw to that is I feel like a lot of that is based on the fact that it is kind of the most freeing industry that you can be in. It is performance. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's artistic, it's performative. Um, it's expressive, you know, it's very accepting and probably more so than, any other industry there is out there. And to me, like being able to showcase your, your talents that are, that make you such a great bartender, bar personality and spirits professional and educator, the true core of who you are as a person without any of that other stuff, just Frankie Marshall, like this fucking amazing person who everyone loves oh my God. The, the, to get up on stage. <laughs> like they, they, they got you on stage because they see that. And we all see that. And they want to share it. And they were like, they're like, let's go. All right. This yeah. is this, <laughs> like, and not only just that, that we want to see it, but giving you the opportunity to be more of yourself, more of the person that we already love, you know, and to host and like present these awards to everyone. Like I wish I was in, I, I wish I would have been there. Even even <laughs> just as a spectator and not a, a nominee because I don't think I ever will be. But um, the but just to see you perform because like I you know like I said you know seeing it at Le Boudoir and like at competitions and different functions it's like you are like you're you're 
like one of my favorite personalities in this industry. And oh my uh, like, God. I just thought like when, when I yeah, saw that article, I, I knew you were hosting Marvel. 50 best, but then when I saw that article in imbibe and, and, and cool enough that like Robert Sampson wrote it, a good friend of ours as well, you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was just like, this is like, honestly, it made me really miss New York. <laughs> and, yeah. well, and so, uh, Thank you. First anyway, of all, I don't even know where to, where to start with that comment, except thank you. I mean, seriously, thank you so much. And, I, and you know, I, I love you folks as well. So, I mean, and, and, we, and we miss you here too, Damon, really. Um, well, I'm sorry, anyway. I missed you last week. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to have a redo. Yeah, and Greg Jimmy's making me for saving his, his first question. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, well, I, I, I was gonna say though. First of all, if you can always watch the broadcast, it's it's out there somewhere. If you really no, I know. Watch it at two times speed. You know, just go go fast. Um, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> just 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 back to one thing I want to say though. The teleprompter is always tough. That's what I want to say. oh sure. You know that oof the teleprompter yeah. that that can get you. But uh, but yeah, I do think that that's why. Um, and as far as. You touched on so many things there. We don't have time for all of it, but I, just going back to the whole uniform thing, I think that, or the, the way people look, I think that across, uh, in, in different uh, categories and different uh, disciplines, the, the, the uniform is gone. You know what I mean? CEOs mm-hmm. look so different now than they did, uh, you know, totally. 10 years ago, right? It's acceptable to to be that baseball hat wearing, you know, with the sneakers and all that stuff. Like that's usually the cool guy, the creative, right? In in the person, sorry, in, in the house. Anyway, um, and I'm so happy for that. I'm so happy that, you know, I can live my life with all my colors of my hair and it doesn't matter to anybody, I don't think, anymore. I don't think I don't, I, because there was a time I when be, I could it's not. Be, it's become your signature, I think. It's, right, well, it, you know, it, there much. were times when I couldn't get jobs. I was literally told, you cannot work here with pink hair. Um, so, so much, and then again, that's a, that's a great change too. So, um, and yeah, we all need to always show our personalities because that's how, like you said, that's what makes us individuals and that's what makes people love us and, and distinguishes, distinguishes us from the next person. And I think that's a great thing. So I encourage people to show that and, you know, um, hopefully you all have great personalities. <laughs> Don't show the bad stuff right away. I mean, let's ease into that. But, you know, I, I do encourage people to, to be themselves uh, because that's what people are looking for these days. I'm going to throw out another buzzword, but that authenticity, mm-hmm. you know, really being your it, – it's so true. I, I, but it's really, really true. Be your authentic self and people are going to notice that and people are going to want you for who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we would need – Maybe a little less focus on our own mental health if we were allowed to be ourselves more. Yeah. yeah. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. 100% agreed. I think most of that pressure from the status quo is where a lot of uh, our mental health uh, and anxiety comes from. So being able to like turn the industry into a more accepting, uh, you know, equalizing kind of like entity you know it's really yeah that's 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 kind of one of the first major steps to balancing out mental health too you know and yeah. it's just yeah. like I, absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. And we see it all the time as, as service people, you know, when people get intimidated by trying to pronounce a wine, you know, that they're ordering and, and you see, you know, sometimes the bartender will, you know, you know that look, oh, you, you, wait, you can't pronounce that, you know, or it's, that's why we need to, on both sides, we, we have to be so much accepting of people, mm-hmm. just help them out, Absolutely. you know, if you can't say what, just this one point to it or whatever the case is, you know, make people feel at ease so they don't have to go through that 
anxiety of you know proving themselves to you um so they yeah that all ties into it you know that's a whole other topic though right we'll save that for another day next episode yeah (laughs) yeah But I want to say really thank you so much. I think this is my, I don't know if you realize this, you might not have had me back, but this is actually my third speakeasy. So I'm, yes, very excited about that. Thank you. Top that, the rest of you. Who else can top that? (laughs) Two two more and you get a a velvet jacket. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Purple, a purple velvet jacket. Yes. Yay. Thank you. But it's been really wonderful. Thank you all So, so much. So lovely having you on. Um, and I think we got a lot out of you. And I think the listeners are going to really enjoy tuning in. So thanks so much, Frankie. Thank you all. Southern Damon, Greg, Armin, back of the house. Yeah, she is up on stage. Uh, well, that's oh it for God. this episode of the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to Ms. Frankie Marshall tell us all about her experience in the industry. Uh, check out heritageradionetwork.org uh, for more shows just like this one. And click on the beating heart to donate to keep shows like ours on air. Uh, we'll have Frankie back again, I'm sure, because she always has so much to say and she's a delight. Uh, so thanks so much, everybody, and cheers. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Thank you, America and the world. <laughs> Yay! So you don't shun the devil with your right. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org/slash subscribe. It's gonna get you